This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Youth Baseball Talk. Only on lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, Jim Cromer. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Youth Baseball Talk, brought to you by the Rope Trainer. And as John Smoltz says, everyone should have one from big leaguers to little leaguers. Make sure you check them out today, theropetrainer.com. Uh, Chris Verna, Earl Perrin, and of course, uh, everyone knows John Smoltz, the great Hall of Famer who took just a few seconds out of his Hall of Fame speech to address the growing arm epidemic in this country and the fact that we need to do something about it. And sitting back and not looking at it isn't going to help. So I do appreciate John for that as it's such an important topic here on Youth Baseball Talk each and every week. The health of our young players, our younger, our real young players, our older players, it doesn't matter. Health is key. And uh, as coaches, we always want to try to do the right thing. So make sure you check them out today, theropetrainer.com. Excited for this week's show as we continue our Chasing Velocity series. Spiker had kind of come up with this idea. So far, so good, Spike. It's been great. Yep, and I'm absolutely pumped for this. Oh, I am too. This This is a good one. He he changed my career on um, the aspect of my arm. And, and really getting me to feel good. So well, I'm excited. And, and again, you, you know, you, you aren't aware, but this has kind of been a year and a half coming. I was hoping to chat with this guy quite some time ago, and we just never could get on the same page as far as time. But I'm so glad that he's here today. But uh, so far, it's been great. And we encourage you, if you haven't uh, caught the first couple on this series of Chasing Velocity, just go to uh, youthbaseballtalk.com. You can catch up on the back episodes of the Chasing Velocity series. Uh, we've talked to some great guys already, and we're going to hear from some more. But you can catch up on back episodes there. You can also subscribe to the podcast. It's the easiest way to do so. Some great videos, things like that. And we share as much as we can through Youth Baseball Talk in an effort to inform you and answer some of the tough questions. But, again, that's youthbaseballtalk.com. Uh, Twitter's great for us, at Podcast Baseball. If you're at all involved in the youth baseball, prep baseball world, we want to hear from you there, at Podcast Baseball. And, of course, Youth Baseball Talk on Facebook as well, uh, and appreciate it. So let's welcome him in. I'm real excited about him today. Um, it's the uh, the one, the only, Alan Jager with the Jager Bands. Everybody, there's Jager Bands and bullpens all over the country, and we've got the man himself here with us. So let's just, no need to even mess around here. Let's welcome him in. Hello, Alan. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. Doing real good. Um, you know, I know you're aware we've been doing this Chasing Velocity series. Um, uh, I'm excited to get your thoughts on it as uh, the whole purpose of this thing is to get some different takes from different people because we all don't think the same, right? So uh, first off, when you see the social media stuff going on, when you see it going on, the basic chase of velocity, what's the first thing you think of? Well, first of all, let me formally say thank you <laughs> for having me on. I really appreciate it. This is such an important topic. Um, you know, I guess the first thing that, you know, the word chasing is actually a very interesting word because, you know, it suggests um, urgency in a way. And um, I feel like velocity is great and it's very important. And obviously it's, it's driving a lot of people, uh, you know, to find out how they can throw. But, um, you know, I keep coming back to this whole theme of you have to build the arm extremely well and condition it extremely well before you start focusing on aggressive throwing. So I'd rather, uh, I'd rather see something about chasing health and endurance 
<laughs> and strength being the third word of velocity. You know what I mean? So I guess that would be my first knee-jerk reaction. Well, yeah, I, I would agree. I, we talked a little bit in some of the prior episodes. It's kind of like, and you stop me at any, you know, you're the expert here, right? I mean, I'm a, I always say I'm a coach that knows enough to be dangerous, uh, which, most, <laughs> which, which most coaches are. We got a chicken and egg thing going on here a little bit, right? Like everybody wants to throw hard, but do we want to prepare the body to throw hard? So I think that's a little bit of maybe what you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned to you off air, you know, I just finished a, a year-round throwing manual. Well, technically, it's probably going on a year and a half now, but, um, you know, we've edited a bit. And the bottom line is, is that I want people to be educated and highly, highly aware of what is the best way to build up an arm, you know, starting from scratch or what's the best way to maintenance it. So, you know, at the end of the day, you have to first, it's like, look, you're going to build a house. All right. If your foundation is not good, we all know you're in deep trouble. So it's it's that way in life. You have to have a great foundation. And that's why I said earlier, I'd rather people talk about chasing health and endurance, um, chasing recovery period, right? Then let the velocity be sort of the byproduct of doing all that right. So that's the manual was written really because in this day and age now, there's a lot of stopping and starting throughout the year. There's a lot of kids that are really hyper-focused, obviously, on velocity. And, I, and I'm okay with that. I don't mind kids wanting to throw hard. I want to throw hard. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's intuitive to our bodies. You want to see how fast you can run. You want to see how far you can throw an object. You want to see how hard you can throw an object. So I get it. But let's just get our priorities straight. That's all. Let's make sure that before we focus on the act of throwing hard, let's make sure the arm is most optimally prepared to throw hard. And that is an art form. That's a whole other world to talk about. So um, at least I'll start with that point. <laughs> and what's the most impressive part about um, your program is that when I got jumped into it and um, I, I, I got it from Travis Griffin, who you know really well, and he when we jumped into it, I didn't realize that I was like, oh, I'm just going to, it's all about my arm. It was yoga. It was meditating. It was like, it was a whole process and it ended up changing my career. And it now, could you, could you kind of expand on that with the body itself when it comes to, um, the arm? Yeah. Well, look, I'd say it's a great point. Let's look at the holistic part. Let's look at the whole body. Let's look at the whole mind. Let's look at everything. And then let the velocity again be the byproduct. So, you know, we did a camp for professional players and actually we did it for college and high school and, and young kids as well. Um, but our pro camp was like two months long. It was a real grind. And I say that in a good way because we really got into it and we got heavy into yoga, heavy into meditation. So there was a, a very strong connection with the, the health and development of the body and how the body works. I like the word intimacy. Be, become very intimate with your body and, and your arm. And then, so we worked heavy on that. We'd go to the field with that connection, if you will, with that awareness. And then we do a lot of arm care stuff, you know, a lot of arm circles, you know, the, the, the band work, as you guys know, the J-bands, we'd, we'd crush that. And then we had a whole art form again to throwing where it wasn't about I mean, our guys didn't really get aggressive for a month. You know, it was more about listening to the arm and letting it breathe and stretching it out and throwing with arc and freeing it up and, and letting the body, you know, connect. So 
Yeah, I think where you're going with that point, if that was you, Spiker, is that you, what you were really saying is is that you were doing all these other things. You know, I just was at the Dodgers facility, and I had lunch, and it was funny. We were talking about UCLA and the people we'd see coming out at UCLA in the offseason, and we were just talking about Kaz Matsui, uh, who used to be an info, you know, for many years, uh, who came over from Japan. And I was joking about he came out, but it, it seemed like it took him two or three hours just to get his stretching and his running and his jogging and his throw. You know, this guy was out there. He, he was lubed up and sweated, and, you know, sweated a lot. And you can feel like it was a process. And uh, so I guess to your point, Spiker, that, yes, this is not about just throwing hard. Throwing hard is the byproduct. What it really comes down to is, as you said, are you doing things for your body so that they're helpful and supportive of your arm, right? Your arm is like the, the crashing of the wave. It's the last thing that comes. So the whole gathering process of the wave and the building up of the wave itself, that's like the 90% of the game. So that's why, you know, it's funny, but in long toss, if you think about it, it takes you, let's say, 100 throws to get out to 300 feet or whatever the number is. It might take you another 30 throws to come in you know, you're not really pulling down and getting super aggressive until the last 10 or 15% of your throwing that day. And I'm, I'm, I'm just throwing numbers out there. And the idea is, is very parallel to what I was saying earlier about your question, which is the aggressive part, the velocity part of throwing is a byproduct. And what we got to first do is re-educate the community or remind the community that the, what's most important it's the wave itself and the building of the wave. <laughs> let's, get, let's let the crashing of the wave happen at the end. You know, I remember being young, and I heard a lot about long toss. And it was long toss, long toss, long toss. I don't hear it so much anymore. I occasionally, you know, we as baseball, I don't know what you want to call us, baseball people, baseball, <laughs> baseball, the youth baseball community, we're fortunate enough every now and again to see Clayton Kershaw long tossing on MLB Network and them talk about it for a minute. Um, th- what it comes down to is there's so many different things out there that I don't know if the normal everyday parent or normal everyday coach can equate right from wrong because, I heck, I don't know that the experts sometimes can. So are, not, are, are we not long tossing enough anymore? I mean, I feel like there was a time when I was younger that that's what everybody was trying to do. Like, I, I remember it being like clockwork. Okay, how do you want to build your arm? Play long toss. Play long. Now, when you ask that question, you get I, – I, I hear things that I can't even pronounce or, or things I've never even heard of. Are we not playing enough long toss? Well, I mean, you're asking me a really great question and a loaded question because <laughs> as long as I've been teaching long toss, which is 27 years, uh, until everybody's doing it except for those people that – are more comfortable not long tossing. I would ever force them to long toss, or you know, Eric Cressy calls a hypermobile, hyper, hyper uh, flexible arm. You know, where maybe they're already too loose to be long tossing. But you know, I'd say for the majority of the population, you know, when I say majority, I mean ninety percent or more. In my opinion, it's it just makes sense with the laws of nature that exactly what you said. It's just it's intuitive. It's instinctive to want to stretch the arm out to want to free up the arm and to want to let it go um, after you've prepared the arm and built it up over the course of time. So the direct answer to your question is, here's how I break it down. The, the colleges in general, 
that I'm familiar with and been doing this for as long as I have, I have a really good pulse on the college programs out there. Um, generally speaking, I think they did an incredible job of promoting long toss and encouraging long toss. I don't know the high school world as well, but I'm sensing from Twitter and social media in general, it feels like the high schools also are, are, are more in the long toss world. I don't know the youth at all, really. Um, and I know the pro world very well. In the pro world, as of 2008, which was the first year that we actually worked with an organization, which were the Rangers, I feel like not many professional teams were encouraging long toss. In fact, a, a number of them, I'd say at least 10 to 12 found on long toss, if not more. So the pro world is now getting a lot better with long toss. Um, but I think the pro world, if I had a guess, I'd say it's 50-50. I think half of them are really, really good at long toss and really encourage it. I'd say half of them maybe don't encourage it a lot. And, and even of those half, maybe a, another quarter of those, which we're talking about seven or eight of them, are are actually promoting not long tossing. So uh, I'm encouraged really by the, the amateur world in general. And I think the pro world is really starting to get better at it. But um, at least that's my my vibe. Now, is there a limit to how much you should throw? Like saying 40 minutes, um, 10 minutes, like, is there a, is there a time frame or is, I mean, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I would probably need a couple hours to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. Let me give you the 30 second answer. The 30 second answer is this, uh, rule number one of our program. I think of anybody's throwing programs, uh, and I don't even like the word program as much as maybe routine, but listen to your arm. So if if you really listen to your arm and like, let's say it's the first day you go out and throw and you haven't thrown in a month because you've taken a month off. Well, if you listen to your arm, it's not going to want to probably go more than 75 feet, but it may want to stay out there for seven, eight, nine minutes. We, we don't know that. Um, your second and third day before you know it, you might be at 100, 110 feet for 11, 12 minutes. We don't know, but my point is this. If you listen to your arm, it will tell you how much volume it wants. It will tell you when it was ready to stretch out a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it might take a, a full month to do this right. Um, it will also tell you what days it wants to get aggressive. Um, early on, it may not want to get aggressive for a month. And at some point, it may want to get aggressive every other day. And then at some point, as long as you're not introducing mound work, it may want to get aggressive four or five days a week. So... Um, there are days I've gone out, and I have a rubber arm, I have to admit, but I've gone out. I know when we have lessons coming to town, or, or I should just say local lessons, um, what's interesting is is that they'll be out there. It's not unusual for a kid to be out there for 45 minutes throwing with us, even on the first time, and, and we're assuming they're, you know, we, we, we talk to them, make sure they're in decent shape. But my point is, is that there's really not a right number because on some days kids that would really throw a lot, tend to want to throw a lot. That's the other irony. The more you throw, the more you tend to want to throw. So some days 40 minutes to, would actually be normal, even though to somebody else that might seem just way too much. <laughs> so I couldn't tell you a, a firm amount of minutes. One thing I like about it in the manual is that there's a lot of parameters, there's a lot of suggestions, and there's a lot of ways of saying this is sort of what you should look for, this is what you should should expect based on what period of time you are in the throwing progression. Um, but it's a great question, Spike. At the end of the day, um, the, 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 the most honest and I think the best answer I could give is that if you listen to your arm, 
it will always tell you. And that's why I do not like restrictions. I don't want people going out there saying you have this many minutes or this many throws or this much distance because on a given day, only the arm will know what it wants or needs that day. Yeah, if there are restrictions on rehab early on, I get it. If there's restrictions on a throwing program early on, I get it because you're building your arm up. But for someone that's in great shape now or just came you know, into a major university or just signed a professional contract or uh, you know, or, or throws with his dad a lot in Little League, or whatever. It's the kid that is, is advanced and has been working actually on his arm uh, or her arm. <laughs> you know, these are kids that are now built to throw a lot. So only they know, and that's why to me, I don't, I'm not trying to pitch counts right now, but restrictions to me, limits to me can be very dangerous. They could be helpful at times, but for the most part, I think you're getting in the way of allowing nature um, to grow. You know, I, what I get out of that is, and something I've always believed is, we don't listen to the arm enough, or generally the body. Like I don't, I don't know if we listen enough to, you know, the arm because I, I think, and again, I, you know, we've said it on here a thousand times. I don't think parents, coaches are doing it maliciously. I don't think they're doing it to be out of line. You know, I think we don't listen enough. Oh, your arm doesn't hurt. Keep throwing. The kid's going, my arm hurts. And you're like, well, here's my favorite one, Alan, and you tell me. This is my favorite. Well, does it hurt or is it painful? What's And I'm, I always sit there and go, because I made that mistake, so I get it. But it's like, well, there's a big difference between it hurts and you have, you're having pain. Big difference. And it's like, okay, I want this 9- or 10-year-old kid to tell me the difference between it hurting and it being a pain. And, and I just don't know right. that we listen to the arm enough. No, I, and I don't think that I don't think that it's in the awareness that, as much as it should be. In other words, um, if you go to a typical little league practice, as an example, I don't know how long the typical little league practice is where they work on throwing. But you know, from my day and age growing up, it certainly seems like it's more of a go get loose to throw for batting practice or for pregame infield. Um, you know, one of the terms I use all the time about throwing is it's a station. You know, it is, you know, hitting may seem more fun to, to kids, um, not maybe to pitchers, but, you know, to, to position players. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of joy when your arm starts feeling healthy and strong all the time and doesn't hurt anymore. So the, the point is, is that you have to be willing as a coach to invest the time into throwing let the kids listen to their arm, keep them up. That's why I don't like the word program very much. It's like, you know what? Let the kids out there. Just let them throw. Don't, don't rush them anywhere. Don't tell them they have to be somewhere. Just, it's amazing if you just watch nature work and you get out of the way. It's, it would shock you at how much kids would actually throw, not because they were told to throw a lot, but just because they were given the time and there wasn't any time pressures. So, um, Educating kids on what it really means to go out and throw and listen to the arm, I think, is a priority, and I just don't know if that's being talked about enough. You become addicted. I remember when I, and it's personal experience because I was in your program, but you become addicted to throwing. And I remember having this conversation with Travis, and I feel like I know you really well just because through Travis, but it was really, it was all about self-awareness. And I remember one day I threw for an hour and a half. And yep. I walked away and it was like, did I just do that? 
I literally just did that. Yep. And then the next day I could, I could throw another, another 30 minutes, 40 minutes. It was, it was very, very impressive. And it, and my, I wasn't caring about my velo. I was caring about, was I feeling comfortable? Was that, was my arm healthy? And to this day I can jump into a cage and throw BP with no, with no pains, no aches, no problems. And the word you use addicted is interesting because for me, I know that I get in those modes too, where I, I, I use this show all the time. I feel like I can throw all day. And as you said, here's the big test. The next day it's, it's almost not possible how good my arm feels. And I don't mean like some, if I didn't throw a lot for the last month, I'm not saying I wouldn't be sore somewhat the next day, but your arm, that's why I say the more you throw, the more your arm wants to throw it. You know, for people that worry about throwing too much in volume, I always use this analogy. I use it the other night at dinner, which is why do BP pitchers make 400 pitches a day, six days a week for 40 years and not break down? And, and I understand they're not throwing as hard as they can and they're not throwing sliders, but their workload is off the charts. And that's without them probably doing any arm care. And I would recommend BP pitchers if they really want to throw healthful, you know, in a healthful way for as long as possible and not have any ramifications in their arm, hopefully, I'd actually have them do a, a band workout, you know, before they throw. But the point is this, it shows you, bless you, it yeah. shows you just how resilient, that's my point, the arm is so resilient, it wants to throw, and that's why I don't like these restrictions or time limits, because give the arm, it's like you put a five-foot snake in a six-foot cage, we're pretty sure that's not going to grow more than a foot. Mm -hmm. You put a five-foot cage in a hundred-foot cage, a five-foot snake in a hundred-foot cage. Well, we don't know if it's going to grow much past six feet either. But I like the chances. But what? What and, about? Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but like I, this thought no, no, is the when a person is about to jump into the deep end and throw a lot, and they're like, "Well, I have to ice my arm a lot." What? What? what what's your thoughts on that? Like if someone said well, that and uh, with icing their arm, is that it, it, what would you say to that person? Well, two things. One, if they need to ice their arm, um, it tells them they're probably not in great condition. Because if they're in great condition, as you just said earlier, you threw for an hour and a half one day, and then you were able to throw 30 minutes the other day without a problem. So I always like work backward. The way they call it reverse chaining. <laughs> I, I work, it's not the right word, but you know where I'm going with this. I work backward, meaning you tell me you're, you're sore the next day. Well, the first thing I think of is not where your mechanics are. The first thing I think of is that, well, let me ask you what you've done the last 10 straight days, two weeks, three weeks, four days even. And what you'll find is that someone who's sore is probably not in very good condition. I mean, just flat out throwing condition. So you reverse so, engineer it. Reverse, thank you. Engineering. So reverse yeah. engineering for me right away is almost always going to come back. I've done this for 27 years. It's amazing how often when people are hurt or sore or whatever, um, tight, I start finding out what, what have they done the last week. It's almost automatic. They, they're they either through too many bullpens. They either weren't in very good, sh good enough shape to get aggressive the day before or the day before that. Um, it's just clockwork. So that's why I keep coming back to this point about conditioning and, and endurance and you know i used the, the analogy earlier about the cake you know the cake is 90 percent of the cake the icing is 10 percent. so you have to have your conditioning in order first period and once you do you have the liberties to do a lot of work a lot of throwing 
with minimal to no soreness. And so the guy that says they're sore, I can almost tell you for certain, um, based on experience, it's almost always going to come back to lack of conditioning, lack of preparation. And all by the way, icing, going back about 10 years now, supposedly, I iced when I played. I thought it helped me. But supposedly the science out there is saying you shouldn't ice anyway unless you're injured. Aren't you, uh, according to, I think it was a Seinfeld episode, aren't you supposed to heat up the ice and then you get the best of both worlds? Wasn't that a Seinfeld episode? Uh, I think it was a rookie, rookie of the Year, I think. <laughs> was that what it was? Yeah. Oh, that's what it Brigma. was. Yeah. It was Brigma. Yeah, you heat up the ice <laughs> and then you get the, the benefits of both worlds. So, um, yeah, you know, for me, uh, Alan, as I learn more about your thing, you know, it kind of goes back. I remember I had the opportunity to interview the great Leo Mazzoni, and I think everybody knows what yeah. Leo was famous for. He was famous for telling guys, you know, heck with this. We don't need to throw less. We need to throw more. And, you know, he had, and I asked him off air, you know, one of those big four there, uh, you know, kind of fought him on it at first. And he said, listen, trust me on this. You're going to feel better than you've ever felt. And the guy did come to him and say, listen, you were right. I was wrong. I feel. And those guys obviously had some, some amazing careers. So that's the first thing I think of is, you know, you know, in the world of less is more or more is less. That's the first thing I think of. And then I, I picture in cages all over the, all over the world, you know, when it's time for a pitching lesson, that kid that just shows up and gets on the mound and starts throwing and doesn't prepare his arm. I, I mean, we could go on and on about all the things, and the and I don't know if it's prerequisites, the word I'm looking for, but the precursor things that you have to do to be able to do this. It's not just that simple. I, I saw a video uh, a week ago, and it was uh, it was unrelated sport. It was hockey. And it was a video showing how the Russian kids train. And I mean, it was skating, agility, athletic ability. It was all this stuff. No pucks involved whatsoever. And I laughed to somebody and I said, I can't imagine going to a youth hockey practice in America and the parents not losing their mind if there wasn't pucks and shooting, right? I picture the same thing with baseball because I've lived it. it. How in the world are we getting better at throwing the baseball if we're not on a mound throwing it as hard as we can or standing here throwing as hard as we can? And it's, I think that's kind of what you're saying is you've got to prepare it first to be able to handle what you eventually want to do. So it, good stuff. I, I mean, I love it. Um, it's, it's very important, and I do encourage. Uh, before we get to our questions, so that people can learn more about you and what you're about and, and you know, the long toss and the Jaeger bands, I'm saying that right, too. It's Jaeger. For all of you out there that have ever said Jaeger, I found out today I was wrong. It's Jaeger bands. So uh, where do the people go to learn about the Jaeger bands and the, and the system and all that? Uh, it's easy. It's uh, jagersports.com, J-A-E-G-E-R, and the word sports. And we also have a ton of free articles up there. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube. Um, we're on Twitter at jagersports and Instagram at jagersports. So it is a must follow. Really do. We, oh, thank you. Yep. Thank you. We, we really do. We have tons of free stuff. I mean, you can go to YouTube and... You can learn tons about our program, uh, including the mental game. I mean, it's all it's all available, and, and it's basically most of it's all free. So, so yeah. So, I, and by the way, I just have to make one quick comment about the lesson thing before I forget. Um, that is symbolic of what we were talking about earlier about the icing on the cake versus the cake, and the, the hockey analogy I love is is a great one too. You go to a lesson. Well, think about it. If your lesson's 30 minutes on a mound, if I'm a pitching coach in an academy, here's sort of, and I bet you Travis did this with you, Spiker, mm-hmm. but you're, 
you're getting at least 15 minutes early to do your bands. And if we can't, if we don't have a park next door or a parking lot or somewhere, you can at least get out to, let's say, if you're in a high school kid, a couple hundred feet, just to at least make sure you stretch your arm out. Then you have to do another 15, well, so 15 minutes to do, let's say, your bands, another at least 15 minutes to stretch out outside the facility. If, if you don't have that, guess what? You're throwing into a net uphill. You're getting uphill so you can get some, you get your arm opened up and stretch your arm out. This is a billion percent automatic before a lesson, not a million, a billion. I'm making, that's how strong I feel about this. So for every parent out there that's listening to this, from now on, if you do a lesson, it's up to you to make sure that before you tore the rubber, that you have had at least 30 minutes of arm care and throwing done before you touch the rubber. This will make, not only will this be very, very safe, but this will put you on a trajectory where the arm will actually get stronger and healthier and, and more optimal from the lesson itself as opposed to going backwards <laughs> and depleting the arm from the lesson and putting it potentially in harm's way. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that I think we accepted you know, wildly at the beginning. And I just think as we get smarter, again, I say it all the time, you know, we may be, we, we may know just enough to be dangerous, but the, we have to continue <laughs> to fight that good fight and try to learn. All right, my man, it's time to hit you. Uh, what Spiker and I have done with, no, I don't want to hit you. I meant hit you with some <laughs> questions. Um, what Spiker and I have done here is, is we've kind of taken the role of uh, allowing parents to be vicariously through us asking you questions. We, we thought about the things that maybe we talk about a lot with either parents, coaches, things that people really want to know. So if, they, if you were in the studio and they were able to call in, uh, we kind of put together some the, the four things that we think are very important for people to know. The very first question, and again, just fly right from the hip on these. Uh, you don't even have to go too long on them, just your general, general thought. Number one, okay. is throwing a baseball safe or better yet, even a good idea? Is throwing a baseball safe or a good idea? And let me tell you where that comes from. That comes from the adage of you hear a lot of people say the arm's not meant to throw a baseball. Boy, I've never had that question asked. That's a very deep question. Um, It's deep. It's real deep around here, let me tell you. (laughs) I guess my first response is I don't know. I, I don't really know if throwing a baseball is safe, but I will say this. The act of throwing a baseball, can the arm could be prepared in a number of ways so that you optimize the safety of throwing a baseball and you optimize the longevity of your life of throwing a baseball, throwing any object. So um, I don't know, I have to really define the word safe in my mind. I think it's safe to throw a baseball from the point of view that if you're aware of how you're throwing it and you're aware of how to build up your arm properly and you're aware of, quote-unquote, things like arm care, like band work, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I feel like it is safe to throw because I think it's all relative. I mean, it's safe to walk knowing that you might step on a rock and twist your ankle. I, I don't know. It's a very... It's a, it's a very good question. It's so good, actually, that you actually have my mind spinning a bit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, we'll let, hey, someday we'll let you come back on. You can say, hey, Jim, remember you asked me that question? You kind of got me a little bit. I got a good answer for you. We can do that. That's fine. This is kind of the follow-up to that, and I think maybe okay. this is where it's going, and I think you'll have a little more force on this. Can you tell if your kid is prior to injury from pitching? 
say it one more time. Can you tell what? I'm sorry. I said the wrong word. Can you tell if your kid is prone to injury from pitching? Um, I think you can. I also think that there's over-evaluation. It's, um, it's a double-edged sword. I think on the one hand, there are certain, you know, just age-old, you know, tells if you will where you look at someone you're like okay he is really pulling out or his elbow is really dragging and uh, his head's pulling out so I think the thing that you look at and you're like that might be an injury waiting to happen and, and, and to be quite honest with you I've never been a big mechanic guy there are plenty of people out there that will break down video and tell you point a b and c of what's going to go wrong um, I'm always more of a feel athletic um, repeat person so my answer, my best answer to this is going to be this way. Um, I think there are obvious things that stand out, that, especially for the younger kids, um, that might put them in a more vulnerable position. But with that said, I think it could be very dangerous to look at a kid that's already matured, like 17, 18, 19, 20, and say, oh, well, I see these normal telltale signs, so we have to fix them. And actually, that is, to me, as dangerous as anything um, where you actually look at someone who doesn't look organized quite well or synced up quite well, and you're like, well, he's pulling out there too much or he's, ste- he's stepping a little too open. And my concept behind that is, is that the body has been working for, let's say, an 18-year-old, 18 years to support specific movements and patterns. So in a way, I actually find it very dangerous to come in and try to fix what looks like a normal flaw. Um, I think the younger kids, those are the ones that you want to get to a little earlier and, and, and maybe address those quote-unquote flaws. But I, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's another great question because it's not a very easy answer. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, there's some obvious things that, that stick out that, you know, where the, the elbow is vulnerable or, or not supported, you know, or you can, you can just sense that, you know, it's in a position where, Again, it just does not look supported very well. Well, here, I'll follow it up with another one. And again, I think when I ask you this next question, you'll kind of see the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The view we're trying to take from a parent's eyes. And then I'm going to go, I'm going to bring it full circle for you. So in this one, I ask you, is there a breaking point for a kid's arm? Where too much is, too much is enough? Well, first of all, there's definitely a breaking point with kids when they're a go back to the beginning of this whole conversation when they're not prepared right their breaking point can happen very quickly okay so that's the big problem number two the other big problem is is not enough rest between outings so there's a breaking point but by not having enough recovery period um but three, I truly, like Spiker said earlier, this is how, how I'm built, and this is how I think the kids that we train are built. And, you know, based on the feedback of them and, and schools and programs that are doing it, it's amazing how if you prepare correctly, you get the feeling like you're, yeah, you can run out of bed and hurt your arm. But you sort of get the feeling like there's not really a breaking point. And it's, I go back to the BP pitcher analogy. You know, someone says, is there a breaking point of volume with throwing a baseball? I mean, you only have so many throws in your arm. And I think a lot of medical people would say you, you only have so many throws in your arm. And yet uh, there's very few BP pitchers that seem like that, that do this uh, as part of their job for 30 or 40 years really break down. I'm not saying they're not sore or their backs maybe not sore or their legs aren't sore or their hips aren't sore. But 
it's kind of, I, I feel like the breaking point is, is much harder to get to. Let me put it that way. If you're prepared well, um, you know, the reason I, I those, those three questions, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I just, I just want to make one point about that. I do feel like if you really take care of your arm well, prepare it well, maintenance it well, I just tend to believe your arm will produce your arm. I don't think it really breaks per se. It, it may get sore. It may get a little tighter as you get older. If you, it's more like if you stop preparing it and training it, I think then you become vulnerable to a breaking point. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like your arm is going to necessarily break. I guess my point is I don't think your arm is going to necessarily break down if you really train it and prepare it well. Uh, 12 months a year. I'm, I'm talking about until you're 60 or 70. I think it will, it will stay relatively healthy. Well, you know, and the thought process behind some of these questions when I hear them, and again, you got to remember, Spiker and I are asking all the guys that we think a lot of, like yourself, and we've had Travis Kerber and Brian DeLunis, and we got more guys scheduled. Um, the thought process behind this is a parent, as you can tell, is probably a parent wondering, you know, what's to be gained here? Is this even a good idea? And you know what? I'll, on a, it, it is and it isn't the same, but I think about it this way. We have a lot of parents not letting their kids play football anymore. For what reason? The head injuries are getting a ton. A, a, you know, concussions are getting a ton of play right now. But yet there's a lot right. of people that love football and their kids play it and they don't get a concussion. They sit here and say, you can do this, you can worry. But I've always found it interesting where we see parents these days more and more getting away from football because of the concussions. But yet we have a youth arm epidemic, and I believe we do, and I, I have my own opinions on that. And you touched on one of them, and I think you and I are on the, on the same page there. But it is amazing to me how it goes the other way with that. These parents want their kids to throw on the mound more and more and more as opposed to less and less, and I don't get it. So the rest thing for me, you said that, that's the number one thing I see is why we have a, an arm problem. We don't give these kids any rest when they pitch. They throw three or four innings one day, three or four the next. People think it's okay because the tournament says it's okay. It drives me crazy. But I've always found that weird is that people be, you know, look at the arm and they, I don't know if they think, well, it won't happen to my kid or whatever, or my kid can handle it. I don't know. But it's always interested me. Well, I think the recovery period thing alone is – as you said, it's it's massive, and I think until you get that sorted out, because look, that goes back to what, what I was mentioning earlier about the cake. <laughs> you got to get the cake right. So if you pitch 30 pitches on a Monday, well, to get the cake right again, we're not talking about the icing now. The, the, that's the pitching in the game. You got to get the cake right, and that might take two or three days to throw 30 pitches again. It might take two, but whatever it is, you have to default over and over back to the recovery and rebuild of the arm before it gets aggressive, whether that's on a mound, whether it's pulling down and long toss. Um, so, t so to me, I guess part of this is, you can't say I guess it's 100% foolproof, but I really believe that if you follow a few major doctrines about how, do you, how does the arm recover and how does it build up and when, do you, when are you allowed to get on a mound and how many pitches do you throw and based on how many pitches, when do you recover again, I agree with you. I think it's it's in the top three reasons why arms are breaking down. And it, again, it always, it always comes back to this, this word awareness 
in preparation. You have to have the preparation done right. And if you do preparation done right, it's amazing what you can get away with. You know, as a coach, I've spent, you know, me and Spiker and I talked about this on a special edition we did about do's and don'ts. As a coach, I personally have watched, you know, probably on average of 50 to 60 baseball games a summer. Um, I've been through two teams, so 10 years, say give or take 10, 12 years of this. And I cannot tell you the number of times that I've watched a kid throw three or four innings on Saturday and then turn around and throw three or four innings on Sunday, and I don't care what age they are. In my opinion, right. that is the number one problem we have right now. That didn't exist 30 years ago. I'm sorry, it just didn't. And if you're looking for a common reason why something's wrong here, I'm sorry, but I think that's a big part of it. Well, I, I would say it's about the quickest way, other than maybe throwing 50 sliders and off a mound, it's about the fastest way to put an arm in harm's way is exactly what you just said. There's... Because, look, at the end of the day, if you throw on vulnerability, if you throw on an arm that is hurting or has not given proper recovery, it is absolutely, because you're going to adrenaline through in a game, absolutely one of the quickest ways to do serious damage to an arm. And, it, you know, in my book, because there's the manual, because there's so many theories out there about pitch counts, I think most of them are very close. I knew as simple as could be. Basically, I think the number is 15. You throw 15 pitches, you have to take 24 hours off. You throw 30, it's 48, 48 hours off. You get to 45, it's 72. You get to 60, now you're back at four full days, which is, what, 96. So if you follow that, I mean, as simple as that sounds, if you literally stamp that on everybody's forehead, so to speak, if that was hanging on a chart from everybody's scorebook, every dugout, and you follow that, you would actually have a hard time hurting your arm based on a lack of recovery period, unless, of course, you didn't do any throwing between your outings. That's, a, that's another topic. But you know what I'm saying? It's almost like you can't screw this up in a way. You know, you can't, you can't put yourself in harm's way if you fall it, because if you, even if you threw, let's say, 30 pitches, so you need two days off, and then you threw 30 more, which, you know, it's getting a little tricky, but it's like, but you have to take two more days off again. It, it's just, it's kind of cool. You're always giving yourself enough time to recover and rebuild. So I got to ask you, I've had some of the, be yourself included, I've had some of the best influential people in this field on this show over the last two years. Every one of you have echoed the same thing. If that's the case, why aren't we doing it? And again, I have I, I have an opinion, and I'm going to tell you real quick. Is it this simple that the quote-unquote tournament rules say that my kid can pitch three innings today and three innings tomorrow, and everybody, are, are they trying to manipulate it to win? Are they not smart enough? And they say, like, hey, listen, I'm telling you the truth here. I believed it at the beginning. I thought, well... The tournament rules say you can throw eight innings in a weekend. I that that must be okay then. Is it that simple? That that that's we're just not smart enough, and we just follow tournament rules instead of following what's right. You know, I I don't know that word, and all I can say is, is that it's sort of like the re-education process. If something's been going on for for decades, and even though there's a lot of information out there now about hey, you know, this is these are some very simple parameters. Do not mess with these parameters. The problem is is that if there's 
tournaments that have been going on. If there's tournaments that have been going on in a, in, a, in a local town and it's been going on for 30 years and it has X rules in place, I guess that's what they know. I, I don't know the answer, but all I would say is this. If the power to be where that is could get something as simple as a universal pitch count based on recovery period, I, I think we would clean up. I don't even know what the percentage would be, but it, it almost feels like 75% I'll throw out as a very liberal number. I, 75% of youth arm injuries could be possibly eliminated just by making a universal system where based on this many days or this many pitches, you have to take this many days off. I really believe that. I believe that, that is maybe at the heart of the biggest problem with the youth. I, I believe you, and I'm going to tell you the story that got me called the communist off my show. <laughs> this, this is a good one. <laughs> I, I'm the reason why we're, we, we, we're not so militarily powerful anymore. I told the story that I had a conversation with a guy one time because he watched us, and we had a good team, and he was dumbfounded by the fact that I didn't throw the same guys on Saturday and Sunday because I had three kids that could really pitch really good. He was dumbfounded right. by it because he noticed that in multiple tournaments we were a low seed on Sunday, and a lot of times we, you know, we might lose in the championship, lose in the semifinals, we may win a championship, but we were always there at the end. And he asked me the question: I don't understand why you don't throw those guys a couple innings on Saturday and get yourself a higher seed. You'd have an easier way in. And I said because I'm not going to do that to my kids. And he said I don't understand. And I told him, I said I told him how I do my pitching, and he looked at me and he said, Well, yeah, but doing it your way what do, what do you do if 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 you lose or if and i go well then we lose i i, right. I don't understand I, if if doing it this way we never get to this guy well then he's available to pitch the next game it's fine then we lose well i told that story on air and i had people go you're what's wrong you're what's wrong with this country we don't care about winning anymore and all this and i said listen i'm okay with winning but not at the detriment to development or to develop or the detriment to health so I, right. I don't know. I, I just that's the way I look at it, and I and I know people have turned our show off before because they're knee deep in it and they're doing it, and they think I'm wrong, and they think I'm wrong because their older son pitched three innings on Saturday and three innings on Sunday, and he was fine. And I get it. I, I just I don't know. It drives me crazy. Last question, um, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna we've been reading this one. The first two guys I don't think got it at first. So I'm gonna read it and then I'm gonna elaborate a little bit. Should I be worried if my kid can't throw hard? And not worried health-wise, I think what we're asking there is a parent, when they have a young kid, if they don't throw hard, should they be worried that they'll never throw hard? Well, I'm going to go back to the reverse engineering, Spiker. Yes. He uses those one big of, words. One of my favorite words. Big words. Fa favorite big combination words. of words. Okay, I'm going to do reverse engineering again. I like reverse chaining. That doesn't work at all. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to do the same thing again. Um, rule number one is simple. You, It's like watering a plant. You do everything in your best power. You get the best soil possible. You get the best nutrients, the best water, the best sun. You, you make sure you find the right programs with how it grows the best, daylight, sh shadows, shade, whatever. And you just buff it out. And so for me, that's how I've always trained, not just the arm, the mind, the body. It, it always comes down to a very simple principle, which is I'm going to do all the right things to optimize the development of this arm or this part of the body. So to a parent, it's like the process versus the result. The result is the velocity. 
you have to really let that go and just say, look, let me do everything possible to get my kid healthy, strong, durable, great recovery period, be a great athlete, um, be a great competitor, be a great teammate. Whatever velocity is going to come out, it's going to come out of it. But if you plug in X, Y, and Z or things that have been proven to help and or other people have had experience with it and success, that's it. And that includes mechanics that are supportive rather than inhibitive. So um, I guess my way of answering the question is, is to say, let the velocity thing go. Work on all the key ingredients to making the plant as healthy and strong as possible. And whatever's meant to come out of that, whether it's 98 or 88 or 78, you can't control that. I mean, you can't control what Mother Nature is go- it has for your son in the DNA per se, right? But what you can control, obviously, is what are you plugging in to optimize the development. So I, wouldn't worry. So I guess my answer is I wouldn't worry about the velocity. It, it doesn't matter. You got you to gotta build that arm as well as possible. By the way, you got to build the mind, and you got to build accuracy, and you got to build throwing a great changeup. So way, way more things to focus on. Let the velocity happen. You're, you're going to do your best you can to plug in for that anyway. Well, hey, that's awesome. Like, this was awesome. Like, we got to have you back on. I'm, I cannot thank you enough for doing the, the uh, Chasing Velocity series. Like I said, we're trying to, we're trying to get a lot of uh, different thoughts and looks from people that are both influential, uh, have made a difference in the game, and have have influenced people both on and off the field and you have certainly done that um you know it's funny i always compare you know i'm so high on the rope trainer and what it's doing and 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 the guys that are behind it are legit and i say it all the time there's you know there's jager bands in every bullpen across the country there's jager bands attached to fences outside dugouts and rightfully so there should be and my hope is, is that someday there'll be a rope trainer there as well and between those things and some of the great things that guys like yourself and some of the influence are doing across the country uh, hopefully we can get a handle on this and make some changes. I, I really think that you guys are doing, guys like yourself, guys like Chris Verna and, and John, you guys are giving us a lot of tools to try to get better. But I do believe this is going to be a problem until we kind of get out of our own way and and get smarter. And the rest thing for me is going to have to change. And it's going to start at the tournament level. I've done a show on it before of how easily this can be fixed. It can be fixed tomorrow. But uh, we got to get everybody on board with it. But, but Alan, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. It's been great. Well, I appreciate it. And you guys have, not only have you had great input, you've asked some unbelievable questions. In fact, you're going to, uh, I'll tell you just a very quick story. I used to run a martial arts studio where we did our yoga and our meditation um, with the pro guys before, before we went to the field. And I would see one of the uh, teachers in there, one of the instructors, and he was a very, very deep guy. He liked deep philosophy. He, he was a hardcore thinking man from that point of view. So I would throw a nugget at him once in a while, and he would tell me the next time I saw him that he was up till 3 in the morning pacing his bedroom <laughs> <laughs> because I said something like, um, I'll give you one of them, uh, nobody knows him because he does not know himself. Uh, that was one of my lines I got probably out of a, a Zen book. And uh, so I'd say like an, I did a zinger like that to him, and he was the kind of guy he would he would pace. And so the reason I had to tell that story is because I have a couple of your first two questions, especially that first one where you, 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 I may have to go outside and go pacing for a little while because uh, you had some really, really great questions. And, uh, and, look, I love what you guys are doing. I appreciate that you're out there on the front line. 
you know, really trying to make a difference. And, and it's people like you, honestly, um, and hopefully we play a part in it as well, but it's, it's the, it's the group effort that is going to hopefully change this epidemic around fast because I, I can't agree with you more. I think at the, the youth level, especially the day they just figure out the pitch count and the recovery period alone could eliminate 75% of the problem right off the top. And then the second piece of that, of course, is, is just being more aware of really training the arm. Focus, I mean, the beginning of the conversation, we're talking about, you know, chasing velocity. And I think that we have to keep coming back to this mantra that this is about chasing training, conditioning, endurance, development, athleticism, let the velocity happen. It's going to happen, whatever it is. And you, yes, you can work on intent throwing. You can work on aggressive throwing, but it's got to be the end of the wave. You've got to put everything into the wave itself. Well, you're a great uh, ambassador for what we're trying to do here. Uh, we, you're welcome on this show anytime. You know, off the air, I've been pressuring you to to to, to join up with us. And when you're, I know when your time allots, you, you you know you're you're up for it. But I know you're a busy guy. Hopefully, we can get it worked out because I think your voice needs to be heard. Um, there's there's you and a few other guys that I think if we were to get consistent with a message, we could make a change. And that's really what the show's about. Is we're trying to both improve the game on and off the field. And you're definitely one of the guys that can you know for sure help with that so alan thank you so much for being a part of our chasing velocity uh series and uh i hope you enjoy the show and i know you'll share it around and i encourage everybody as spiker said earlier you are a must follow great stuff well i appreciate it and i will be happy to help promote this episode and any episodes in general that you put out there about arm care in in general i'll I'll be happy to help out and and you know what you said something earlier i wanted to comment on let's Thank goodness, though, that um, as, as bad as it is, if the arm breaks down, I, I got to tell you about that concussion thing with with football, and I I, I feel that man. It's that's I, the idea of football and concussions, at least with the arm. <laughs> yes, we don't want like getting hurt, but uh, thank goodness, though, at least we'll have to make that decision in baseball about the concussion because for me it would. It's not a. It wouldn't be a hard decision. I could not imagine, and that is just me getting on my own little <laughs> pulpit about it. But uh, the, the brain and the head compared to the arm. Uh, we don't want kids getting hurt with the arm, but boy, um, I just. I don't know. What do you guys say about football in general? I mean, do you think it's something that, with with, do you think the sport is going to continue to, you know, you know, I guess decline in popularity, be, at least in participation. It'll be different. Football as we know it will be n- completely different in 10 years. It may be five yeah, years. I, it could be five years. I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be interesting, to say the least. Um, I don't know how it's going to go down, but I assure you it's going to go down. But um, but I, I'm with you. Luckily, we don't have this issue, I don't think, with the arm. I just found. I just always find it odd how everybody, you know, there's all these injuries out there, and they just want their kids to do more of it, but yet we have a concussion problem with football, and people don't want their kids anywhere around it. I've just always found it odd. Just an observation, but – Alan, thank you. We appreciate you. Um, Keep up what you're doing, and we look forward to having you on again, my friend. Yep. Thanks again, guys, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Alan. That is Alan Jager. Um, Just a, you know, what a great voice. Oh. For this whole thing. He's phenomenal. He is phenomenal. Um, I can't can't even begin to tell you how... uh, how important an episode that was, and I sure hope everybody listens. And you're right; he is a must-follow. Uh, let's get uh, let's get to our other guys that are must-follows as well. Mm-hmm. And I do want to remind everybody: the show is brought to you by the Rope Trainer, Earl Perrin, Chris Verna, John Smoltz. As John Smoltz says, 
Everyone should have one from big leaguers to little leaguers. Check them out, theropetrainer.com. Uh, no different than Alan Jager, the difference he's trying to make uh, in, in, in the world of throwing. Uh, throwing in general, not like look at you. You said he changed your world from throwing from the outfield. It's not just pitching. We always want to equate this thing with pitching. We have an arm problem all across the board. We got to fix it. We got to find a way. I love his, I love some of the comments. I know we're going to have some great sound bites from there. You can get those too if you go to the ropetrainer.com. They've got some great videos on there talking a little bit about the rope trainer, how it works, how you're supposed to use it. Video is phenomenal, audio, visual, everything you need. Uh, the next guy I want to bring in for his tip of the week is another great visual and audio guy, and that's Justin Stone with his EliteBaseball.tv training tip of the week. I encourage you to go to EliteBaseball.tv, check them out. they got a lot of free sample stuff. Go to YouTube, type in Justin Stone, EliteBaseball.tv. You're going to get everything you need. I promise you it's the, it's the best thing on the market. It's so easy to use whether you have a younger player, a middle-aged player, an older player. Check them out. EliteBaseball.tv training tip of the week by our own Justin Stone. Justin, take it away. This is Travis Kerber head instructor for elite baseball training, and this is the tip of the week. When throwing a ball, it becomes important to be able to manipulate the ball or create some sort of movement to a pitch to help assist us in getting missed contact or missing bats. So when we talk to hitters, I always ask them, what's harder for you to hit, an 80-mile-an-hour fastball or set straight or a 77-mile-an-hour fastball that has movement. And most, if not all, have told me that they would rather face a pitch that's slightly faster but straight than a pitch that has the relatively same speed but has movement. So as a pitcher, it's very important that we learn to be able to do this. A lot of times we get caught up in always throwing a four-seam fastball when hitters are all telling us they would rather not have movement. So this time of year, it's important to be able to start playing around with being able to create a different access of spin on the ball. There are a lot of different ways that guys do this. I'm going to give you a couple examples of the way guys manipulate the ball. One way that guys manipulate a ball on a, on a fastball is to offset their grip on the pitch. So if you imagine that the middle finger and thumb typically end up splitting the ball in half on a regular pitched fastball, you will get some guys when they're going to throw a cut fastball, which is a fastball that moves towards the glove side as it goes towards the plate. And what they'll do is they'll take their index finger and their thumb and split the ball in half. At this point, if I throw the ball the same way, my point of access when the ball leaves my hand should be slightly offset to the throwing hand side. So for a right-handed thrower, that would be slightly to the right side of the middle of the ball, and for a left-handed thrower, that would be slightly to the left side of the, of the middle of the ball. When you throw a fastball with your force slightly off the center of axis, it will create a side spin to the ball, which will give us some movement as the ball tracks towards the plate. But because our fingers are still relatively behind the center of the ball, we're still going to be able to throw this ball at a higher rate of speed. A lot of times I tell my pitchers this is a good pitch to throw, a pitch with movement, especially in a count where a hitter is looking for a fastball. So in a typical 2-0 count, a hitter is going to be very aggressive because they're assuming they're going to get a fastball and they're not going to chase much else. So a lot of times if we go and we attack them with a fastball, we're going to use their aggressiveness against them. So by using their aggressiveness against them, we're going to give them fastball that will then move off the point of, of the direction it was originally heading which will most likely lead in us getting a weak point of contact or a swing and miss. So again, using their 
using their aggressiveness against them in a situation that they should have an opportunity to be more successful. Another way that guys have manipulated the, speed, the, the direction of the ball is by playing around with a little bit of pressure. So I've seen guys that will also use typically on a cutter, let's say their middle finger as a pressure point, a higher pressure point than normal on a pitch to help direct the ball to have a slight side spin that will create movement again towards the glove side as the ball tracks towards the plate. The other way that people create different actions on a ball that I've seen is they will use different form angle positions at release. So imagine if I was going to go somewhere between a forearm angle that is directly facing the plate to slightly facing back towards uh, my body. So that means my form would be facing slightly in at the point of release. That ball will have a slight more cutting action to it. If my forearm is working its way back slightly into pronation, I will get more of a reverse spin or more of a two-seam or sink spin to the pitch. Again, this time of year, it's really important that you learn to start playing around with your movement on your pitches. This will help you have a more successful season, even in situations where you're down or down in the count to a hitter. Good luck and work on that movement. Great stuff as always, uh, and he never fails to disappoint, does he? Never. He's good. I wish I was that damn smart, I can tell you that. I feel like my kid might be Tony Gwynn, but no, seriously, it's, it's good. And, you know, my son loves him. And the smartest thing I ever did was give him the password to the membership. He watches the videos. He tries to emulate what he sees. And you know what? Can he do it all himself? No, but it's all part of the learning process, and it's just awesome. You need to check out his YouTube channel. He's got some pretty good stuff, um, some free content that he throws out there. Um, but definitely, definitely check out the um, The membership's database. cheap. Yeah. It's nothing. For all the money we spend, I think it's $97 for a whole year. Yeah. And you get access to all that at any time and all the new stuff they do. They're doing a kid's corner. It's phenomenal. Once you watch doing. that first video, you're hooked. Yeah, and he, they unbelievable in person, him and Travis both. If you ever see him speak, say it all the time. Don't miss the opportunity. Another guy I love to hear from every week. Uh, this segment has done really, really well. I've really enjoyed doing it and bringing it to you guys, uh, all the questions that we get. The Ask Rick segment, uh, St. Louis Pirates Nation, uh, brought to you by uh, Blast Motion, the great uh, device and tool that a lot of guys are using, and Rick does a great job with it as well. I encourage you to check it out. Uh, it's time for the Ask Rick segment. Rick, take it away. Hey, Jim. It's awesome to be back on the show again this week. Uh, sitting here down in Jupiter watching some minor league baseball today and uh, ready to answer the question of the week. And the question of the week was there's actually a couple different questions involved in that um, that question you sent over to me. Uh, and it asked, the question says, ask, uh, you see a ton of arguments on social media coaches teaching kids how to do things like big leaguers. I see people say you can't expect kids to do what big leaguers do. Uh, I say that when I was a kid, we learned by watching big leaguers and emulating how they they did it and um, not being coached like a robot. Um, the arguments, yeah, I, I've social media and have some followings, but I don't really uh, get into discussions with people about swings on social media, especially when you're looking at applying that to your own personal development. And the reason why we don't do that, and I've said many times on this show, uh, every person is different. Anytime we do things that we'd like to copy and things like that, but and that's fine. I want kids to continue to do that today, but copying your favorite player 
uh, is just an introduction to the game and gets you to do things in the right way. But it doesn't mean that you're going to have the same level of success, of success as that other player. And even though you're emulating and copying that guy and you may look like that player a little bit from a style perspective, the question you have to answer is, are you just as efficient as that person in his movements? And there's really no way to know that. Uh, the only way we've been able to track that over time is by batting averages or things like that. But we always say if you need a bone marrow uh, transplant you, and you're copying Josh Donaldson and you look exactly like Josh Donaldson in the cage, you can't go give Josh Donaldson or Josh Donaldson can't give you his bone marrow. Uh, you should probably not. More likely you can't do that. And in some cases they may be able to do that, but very rarely will you do it. What, what I mean by that is that your structure, your athleticism, how you're built, your arm length, your whip length, your, uh, your waist length is different than the players that you're trying to copy. So don't expect the same result. I'm not saying don't copy them. Kid, all kids should do that. That's how we, we actually grow our interest in the game. But don't expect that. As far as the arguments on social media, I don't know why that happens. Um, it's kind of silly to me to have guys, grown men, and uh, engaging and women engaging in arguments about what's best and what's not best to, to go. So really what the swing breaks down to and throwing breaks down to is a pattern of efficiency. You know, we test hundreds of athletes, both high school, college, and some pro guys as well. And I'll see a lot of differences uh, as far as strength on the the high-level high high school guy and the college guy. The difference is, is that these older guys are more experienced and they're more efficient in their patterns. And you see that even while working with minor leaguers that there is a level of efficiency in, in how guys generate energy and transfer it to the baseball. So that's my answer. Continue to watch players and copy, but at the same time, you need to continue to explore how the body works and how uh, it, it wants to swing the bat. And eventually you may have a style that's similar to somebody else, but you, you're always working on, on being efficient. That's my answer of the week, Jim. Look forward to talking to you guys next time, um, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you, Rick. Great stuff. Thanks again to Blast Motion. Thanks again to St. Louis Pirates Nation for loaning us, Rick, every week for just a couple of minutes to get that insight from a guy that, uh, quite frankly, is one of the best in the business. And, um, you know, the stories and the, you know, if you want to talk about recruiting, and you guys are knee-deep in it, Spiker. If you're talking about recruiting at the college level, it's amazing the things that this guy, you know, has done and is continuing to do for kids. And you guys as well. Mm-hmm. Again, I've said it, man. We're so blessed. We've got so many great programs everybody's out there trying to help these kids and hats off to everybody. So um, just great. But hey, enjoyed this today. Oh, um, and kind of like the personal experience with, with um, Alan and it's, it's finding something that works for you. And Alan worked for me. And when we're giving, when we have this series of um, shows, listen to the pillars, the pillars that all these guys are talking about, because that's what you need to follow. That's definitely the things that you need to follow. And yep. self-awareness, Alan is a huge self-awareness guy. Follow, understand yourself. Well, it's great stuff. Love doing the show with you, man. I, uh, you coming on here was the smartest, one of the smart, you know, I got married to a great gal. That was a good decision. Had some kids, enjoy watching them play good decisions. You're right up there, pal. You've been awesome. <laughs> Love having you a part of this. It's, it's I'm having a great time. And and again, you're so good at what you do. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jim. All right. For my man, Spiker Helms, uh, for my producer, Andrew, uh, the new guy on the, t- on the team here. He's going to be doing the show with us each and every week. And, of course, Ryan Rowmiller, our, our latest youth baseball talk producer, doing content and everything. Uh, don't forget, guys, I, I want to encourage everybody out there. Uh, again, youthbaseballtalk.com is the website. 
Don't forget uh, Twitter. We're at Podcast Baseball. And, of course, you can find us on Facebook. Just type in Youth Baseball Talk. We would appreciate your support. Follow us. We're going to follow you back. Share our stuff when you see it. The only way to spread this message, if you enjoy this message, if you're behind us at all, the way to help us continue to grow the show is just to share it. You guys are in the, you're, if you're listening to us, you're knee deep in baseball, which means your friends probably are. Share us around. We would be eternally grateful. For Spiker Helms, I'm Jim Cromer. This is Youth Baseball Talk. We'll see you next week. Tune in next week for another edition of Youth Baseball Talk. Subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the show. Find us online at youthbaseballtalk.com, facebook.com slash youthbaseballtalk, or on Twitter at podcastbaseball. Plus, check out all of our podcasts at lineupmedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.